Please take your scriptures and turn with me to Joshua chapter 21 for our brief Old Testament reading, followed by our continuation in the book of Acts this morning. Beloved, if you've ever been in the proximity of a dispensationalist, this Old Testament reading is is pure gold for you in conversations with them to help them come and see that all that the Lord promised to Israel temporarily, in a temporal way, was fulfilled. And then we will continue and see that the Lord is fulfilling this very same promise in a consummate way. He's already begun, he's already inaugurated the fulfillment in the church of the ages. Let us pray together. Our gracious God, we do come before you this morning upon the public reading and preaching of your word. We ask, O Lord, that it would please you to grant your spirit success among us. Whether our hearts are hard, whether our neck is stiff, whether we have prayed through the night, Father, whatever condition we are in, without your spirit, we are in no good condition. So, Lord, we pray that contrary to our deserving, contrary to our readiness, your spirit, like a good plowman, would come and furrow a row in our heart, breaking up fallow ground, making our hearts good to receive the seed of your good word, and that it would take root in us, springing up to bring a harvest of righteousness to your praise. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Joshua 21, verse 43, God's word. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Please turn to Acts 9. beginning at verse 19. And taking food, Saul was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem? of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. 
But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is God's word. Beloved, it is the will of God that his church be comforted by the Holy Spirit. Verse 31 makes it plain and clear, doesn't it? The Lord wants you to be comforted. In the strength of his body, the Lord wants you to receive his comfort, enjoy his comfort, walk by his comfort through this entire present evil age. It is his will for you, which means you cannot make do in the Christian life without the comfort of the Holy Spirit. But it also means you will never be a disappointment to God when you take as much comfort from him as you can possibly take. You will never disappoint him by wanting to be comforted by him more. You will never be a disappointment to him when you go to him like a little child and say, Father, comfort me. I need your comfort. But here is something even more wonderful. The Almighty God does not wait for you to take comfort in him. He comes to you first. By grace, through his Son, he comes and comforts every Christian believer by the Holy Spirit. On the night of the Last Supper, Jesus spoke of the Holy Spirit and his coming work of comfort. He said in John 14, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. helper. The King James there says, another comforter. He will give you another helper to be with you forever. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You will know that by the comfort of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus made those promises, he was about to die so he could be with his people forever. On the cross, he died to separate us from our sin so he would never be separated from us. He now comes and he abides with us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the presence and the power of Christ's comfort. 
until the day he comes visibly, physically, in person again. So how? How does the Holy Spirit comfort us? He constantly carries an infallible testimony to our souls that the Christ who triumphed over sin, over death, over the devil, over the world, that Christ is our Christ, your Christ. His Father is your Father. The Spirit comes and comforts you by pressing these truths onto your soul, stamping them on you. Beloved, this is his ministry to you. A sure hope that all of heaven desires us is the comfort work of the Spirit. A sure hope that all of heaven desires your salvation is the comfort work of the Holy Spirit. A sure hope that all of heaven will work to keep you in your salvation, will welcome you into heaven, the kingdom, in its consummation, and thus everything now about your life on earth, everything, is ordered not against but for your good and salvation. This is the testimony of the Holy Spirit when he comes to comfort you. He does not bring lottery numbers. That is not his comfort. His comfort is in Christ, for Christ, that you would be at rest in Christ. Beloved, the comfort of the Holy Spirit is not even a better report from the CAT scan. Those are from God if they're good. Those are from your good God if they are not. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is about eternal blessings that belong to you as surely as Christ is at the right hand of heaven, the right hand of the throne of God. So this is the comfort of the Holy Spirit, an abounding hope in God, which is exactly how Paul will say it later to the Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Romans 15, 13. Now think about where Luke, the author of the book of Acts, has placed verse 31. The verse we have just been considering in recent words, he has placed it at the very end of a section describing the new life lived out by Saul. Does the conversion of Saul have something to do with the comfort of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely it does. That's why verse 31 comes where it comes. Saul's conversion is a key part of the Holy Spirit's testimony to the souls of all believers not just the believers of Saul's day, even the believers gathered in this room this morning. Paul's conversion is a redemptive historical testimony to the whole church until the end of the age, and especially through the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit. Remember, there is a direct relationship between the comfort ministry of the Spirit and the triumph of the Son, Jesus Christ. 
The Spirit takes the startling news of Saul's conversion and presses it as testimony into the souls of the believers in Judea, in Galilee, in Samaria. The Spirit takes the startling news of Saul's conversion and persuades the believers that the risen Christ, listen, has complete authority over the enemies of the church. That's what Saul was. That's what some of you might be today. Listen closely. There's good news coming for the enemies of the church. Saul was one of the greatest enemies of the church. But Saul, who persecuted Christ, is suddenly Saul who serves Christ. Saul, who made the church suffer, is suddenly Saul who suffers for the church. Saul, who breathed threats and murder against disciples, verse 1 of this chapter, is suddenly one of the disciples, verse 26. We're not even out of the chapter yet. And the world has been turned upside down for Saul and the church. The risen Christ, beloved, has done with a mere word what no army could do. It is, as Matthew Henry said, the prophecy of Isaiah 11.6 is unfolding before our eyes in this chapter. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. Saul the wolf, lying next to the little sheep. David's son has come. What a kingdom. What authority. What power. In the church, right here in Acts, the root of Jesse, David's greater son, Jesus the righteous, our risen Lord, gathers in peace those who were once at war. He subdues them and unites them to a mutual adoration of his glory. And this, beloved, is the testimony. Listen so carefully. You have to get this. This is the testimony by which the Spirit comforts the churches, that the risen Christ rules all the enemies of the church. If the risen Christ can subdue a great enemy of his church through conversion, Saul, then we have nothing to fear when we see enemies he is not subdued through conversion. Why? Because if he can subdue the great enemy, he can subdue any enemy. And if any enemy of the church is not subdued by conversion, it does not mean they are not subject to Christ's authority. They are still subject He has demonstrated his power over his enemies in the conversion of Saul. It is the same divine power ruling unconverted enemies, only in another way. They too are subdued, but not by his sovereign grace, but by his sovereign power. Therefore, whatever the unconverted enemies of the church do to us, they do it under the authority and will of Christ. They are doing nothing to us that Christ doesn't want done to us, which allows us to love them, to pray for them, to even, this is going to be scandalous, 
to be humiliated and crucified for them. Beloved, that is the gospel of your salvation. It is the template for your discipleship. Do you believe it? You see, what I'm telling you today can only be received by faith. The enemies of the church do nothing but what he allows them to do. And it is the comfort the Spirit insists on pressing upon the souls of believers. And we are comforted by it. Christ rules all men, all nations, all enemies for the good and final salvation of his church and the glory of his name. Now, what does it look like to walk in this comfort of the Holy Spirit? And you can tell I am obviously focusing upon this phrase in verse 31 and kind of hammering it away today. But I can do three extra sermons tonight at your house on the phrases I'm leaving out. Of course. Well, what does it look like to walk in this comfort of the Holy Spirit? Well, we see this in the earliest movement of Saul's new life in Christ, in our very passage. First, Saul unites with the Christian disciples of Damascus. He doesn't go and hide from the church he came there to persecute. The comfort of the Holy Spirit emboldened Saul to unite with the people he once hated, the Christian church, which means the Holy Spirit kept comforting him as it concerned his many, many sins as a former blasphemer and murderer. The Holy Spirit kept assuring Saul that the head of the church, Jesus, had declared his sins forgiven. In that comfort, Saul united with the church, refusing to yield to anyone in the church who thought he should not be serving Christ because of his sins. You have to refuse that completely if the head of the church has forgiven you. The greatest sinner among us can be the pastor. In fact, is the pastor. Because the head of the church forgave me. I love you, but I don't care what you say about my past sins. If they are forgiven at the top, they are forgiven everywhere. The comfort of the Spirit in Saul's life pressed that upon him as he went into the very church that he raged against. Instead of going away and hiding, he unites because of the comfort of the Holy Spirit. He's walking in that comfort. He probably had to remind some of them that the church is an eternal fellowship of forgiven sinners under the blood of Christ. But that was his ministry anyway, to remind. His confidence is from the comfort. Second, second, Paul immediately begins proclaiming Jesus in the synagogues of Damascus. This, too, is from the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Saul cannot keep silent about Christ. He has seen the risen Christ. He now knows the future is an absolute monarchy. 
Do you know it? (laughs) Jesus reigns forever over all things. The comfort of the Holy Spirit emboldens Saul to proclaim Jesus. Our text says he does this boldly in Damascus, and then it says he did this boldly in Jerusalem. You know you are comforted by the Holy Spirit when the exaltation of Jesus among men becomes your chief ambition. You want to hear it, Jesus exalted. You want to support it. You want to be close to it. And you want to even do it if you have to. Well, nobody's telling that guy about Jesus. I better do it. I don't have time to call. I'm the man. I'm comforted by the Holy Spirit that my king owns every square inch of the earth. He has told me I can go to any nation. I not only have the responsibility, that's how we often hear it, but I have the right to go to the nations and tell them Jesus is Savior and King. It's the comfort of the Holy Spirit that drives this in, the, in Saul and in any believer. Beloved, there are, of course, bold men all over the place. I got 100 videos in my Twitter feed that will prove it to you. Boldness is not lacking in this world. But the boldness that comes from the comfort of the Holy Spirit is a very specific boldness. It wants to talk about Jesus. It wants to proclaim Jesus. It wants to exalt Jesus. It wants to prove that Jesus is the Son of God, the Christ, the Savior, the Judge. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is what makes the church bolder and bolder in the exaltation of Jesus Christ. Third, Saul did not let weakness and suffering stop him. This was due to the comforting ministry of the Holy Spirit. The disciples at Damascus and the disciples at Jerusalem were very suspicious of Saul. By this he suffered, but he did not quit. The unbelievers in those very same cities, Damascus and Jerusalem, who once hated the same church that Saul once hated, they now want to kill him. By this, he suffered but did not quit. In Luke's account in chapter 9, 19 through 31, he's really collapsing three years of Saul's life into a couple paragraphs. We know this from Galatians 1.17, where Paul, Saul, tells us that after his conversion, he stayed in Damascus, then went to Arabia for three years, and then came back to Damascus, and that's when the basket incident happened. But understand, the point is this, that immediately after his conversion, he was enlisted into the sufferings of the Savior. The very sufferings that the, ch- the children of God thrive under because they are marinating in the comforts of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit assured Saul of Christ's gracious favor toward him on the cross, and the Spirit assured Saul of Christ's triumph over death. The Spirit kept pressing this upon him in comfort. 
So Saul was not ashamed to suffer for Christ. He even came to boast in his sufferings, did you know? Specifically, the very sufferings he endured at Damascus. In a little section in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he tells them how he had such little honor in that city that he needed to escape by being let down in a basket. Beloved, for the man that Saul once was, that was humiliating. In fact, in that passage in 2 Corinthians 11.30, he says that that is his weakness on display, to be so humiliated that he would have to hide like a potato in a basket and be lowered over the wall. But he said in that same passage, that same breath, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. How could he be brought to such a boasting because of the comforts of the Holy Spirit. Because what the Holy Spirit reveals about Christ to him, that Christ's sufferings were his glory in the kingdom, not among men, but in the kingdom, in the face of God. So the Spirit assured him that his weakness was the very platform on which Christ would be exalted for grace, for love, for power. And Saul wanted Christ exalted, not his strength. So there, beloved, you have it. That's what walking in the comfort of the Holy Spirit looks like in Acts 9. We boldly enter the life of the church under Jesus' forgiving authority. The Spirit comforts us because our Savior said, you're forgiven no matter where you came from. We boldly promote and proclaim the exaltation of Jesus, his person, his word. And three, we boldly endure in serving Jesus even when our weakness becomes more visible because the exaltation of Christ's power is our ambition, not the exaltation of our own. Parents, do you see it? The comfort of the Holy Spirit He assures you that when you are being humiliated in your parenting, when your children's disobedience or unbelief or rejection humiliates you, boast in your weakness because the Lord is giving you a platform for the exaltation of Christ. Your hope is not in your excellencies as a parent. It is in the Savior who has power and love and can do anything he wants and wills with your children and with you. Do you want him exalted? Or do you want an awesome record of parenthood so that people proclaim you in all the parenting conferences and all the parenting books of the world? I stink as a parent. but it has taught me to exalt Jesus Christ. I am comforted in the very place that I'm tempted not to, not, to tempt, not to find any comfort. I am comforted because I see what the Lord has done. And it is even good for my children to see that I now have learned to exalt Jesus Christ. And that brings us to a final point this morning. There are people described in our text who are trying to comfort themselves by their own power without the Holy Spirit. 
Who are they? You notice them. They are the Jews of Damascus who want to kill Saul. They watch the gates day and night to capture him, to murder him. And there are others who are just like them down in Jerusalem. The Hellenists, they too were seeking to kill Saul. These are the very Greek Jews who killed Stephen, whom Paul once stood amongst. Paul is now being sought for death in both places. Men who are still what Saul once was. Violent blasphemers, insolent opponents of Christ, men even willing to kill to be comforted. That's what their killing is about. Why were such angry men so desperate for comfort? Because they feared losing control. They feared that their sons and daughters would flee to Christ. They feared that their neighbors would flee to Christ. They feared the Christian church would infect the synagogues and dismantle all their traditions and all their customs and all their ceremonies, which means they regarded themselves as sovereigns, as lords. They regarded themselves as the owners of God's vineyard, Jesus pointed them out in Matthew 23 in the parable of the tenants. Always killing for comfort. They regarded all the promises of a coming Messiah, all the ages-long promises that they had heard, they regarded all the promises of the Messiah as being fulfilled without changing anything, without completing anything. So when they saw people fleeing with joy to Christ, they became enraged. Their kingdom, which they had stolen from God, was threatened. So they would meet the threat with threats of their own and with violence. Because the soul is so desperate for comfort. Beloved, understand something. They refused to be humiliated, these killers in Damascus and Jerusalem. They refused to be humiliated because they were lords. They were sovereigns. They had no faith in any lord above them. And we should understand something so important for the application of this to our own lives. What you see in these killing comforters is not something peculiar to their being religious men. Because this is only peculiar to their being fallen sons of Adam. This is not a Jewish bloodlust, even though it is in the hearts of Jewish men. This is the bloodlust of those who think they are their own lords and sovereigns. They refuse to be humiliated. The authority of Christ over what they think they alone have authority over will always make men hate Christ 
unless the Holy Spirit comes to comfort them with the comfort that Christ alone possesses all authority. Beloved, did you hear and understand that? We think we have authority over ourselves. We own ourselves. We rule ourselves. We will tell ourselves what is sin. We will tell ourselves what is true. We will tell ourselves what commandments we have to obey. We will tell ourselves, we will tell ourselves, we will tell ourselves. That is all the internal speech of those who are their own sovereigns and who are on the road to murder and to the crucifying of Christ. The instinct to kill does not start in the hand when the blood is drawn. Our Lord Jesus said it begins in the heart, the murderous heart, Matthew 5. Well, without the Holy Spirit comforting us, we will all begin to slowly hate Jesus and eventually want him out of our life, want his church out of our life. We will start to respectfully and politely keep away from him, keep out of our Bibles, keep out of our worship, keep out of our church, and then it will get hotter. And it's all about sovereignty. It's all about who is the Lord, who owns you. You cannot tell me what sin is. You cannot tell me what truth is. You cannot tell me what to believe. You cannot tell me what commands to obey. Those are the words of a sovereign. Do not be surprised if the true and only sovereign says those words to you on the day of judgment. You have said them to him. You have said those words to him declaring that you are Lord of you. On the day of judgment when he appears, does he not have the right to say them back to you and to deal with you as a rival for you deal with him today as a rival? There's only one right response to this risen Christ who has authority over all his enemies. Bow. Kiss him. Cling to him. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to rule you. Ask him to turn you from enemy to friend, from hater to lover of him. That's the only right response. Our desperate need to not be numbered among those on the road to killing Our desperate need is to be comforted by the Holy Spirit, beloved. You will remain an an enemy of Christ until the Holy Spirit's comforting you that Jesus Christ is the true Lord and a good Lord, a gracious Lord, a giving Lord. What has he given? He has given his body and blood for his enemies to cleanse them, and keep them forever. Beloved, do you know this comfort from the Holy Spirit? Jesus gave his life so that you could have this ministry from the Holy Spirit. 
He reconciled you to the Holy Spirit, to the triune God, so that you could have this comfort. You cannot be a Christian without it. It is the comfort that testifies to your soul again and again that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is a good Lord who wins his enemies at the cost of his blood and keeps them as his sons and daughters forever. Let us pray to him. Our gracious God and Father, we confess to you how familiar they are to us, these bloodthirsty men who are enraged that they are not Lord, that they are not treated as sovereigns. We thank you, O Lord, that you forgive such bloodthirsty men, such proud men, such deceived men. What an abounding grace we have seen in the life of Saul. Father, I pray for any among among us in this room who are the enemies of Christ, who would really wish Jesus would leave them alone, who don't want to be told what to believe, who don't want to be told what to obey. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would be merciful to them, even contrary to their deserving, for such is mercy. Reveal to them, even this morning, that they are rivals of the one true Lord, and he must deal with them should they maintain their position as a one supreme Lord deals with all rivals. Lord, deal with them now in this season of your patience with mercy. Give them the ministry of your Holy Spirit as by faith they see the glory of the crucified Savior. And Father, we thank you that you have comforted us by your Holy Spirit. And it is the reason that we fight against pornography. It is the reason that we fight against our white lying. It is the reason that we fight valiantly against what our eyes look at. It is the reason that we are making plans to love and be generous towards others that we never thought we would make plans to be. It is the reason why we worship. It is the reason why we sacrifice many things to be with one another. It is the reason why we keep speaking of Christ and keep going to prayer, because by the ministry of your Holy Spirit, you have comforted us. You have testified to us of the triumph of Jesus Christ over sin, over death, over the devil, over the world. And we are so greatly comforted that we don't need those things like we once desperately needed them. In fact, they are fading away, and we don't regret it. We thank you for this ministry, Lord. 
We praise you and bless you for your wisdom and goodness to us. So desperately needy for this comfort, so rich in it. In Jesus' name, amen.